0: come to your word this morning. We ask that you would be with us, that you would cause our hearts through your Holy Spirit to draw close to you and draw us close together in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. I wasn't sure... Morning. I'm going to be uh, sharing uh, pretty much where I left off last week as I was talking about the idea of marriage and headship in the church and how our congregation uh, looks at that. The focus last week was to really understand that the principle of headship is a biblical principle that begins with Adam and Eve. In other words, we before the before the fall, Adam and Eve were in a relationship where the headship principle was involved. And some will say, well, uh, how do we know? Well, first off, we have the Word of God that tells us what happened and the order things happened in. And I'll come back to that first position that I took last week. It's the same this week. And it's the first statement within the framework of our statement of faith. And that is, is that the Word of God is God-breathed. We have... The words of God and so as we go back to scripture we look at them and we realize that the things that that, that are, are clear to understand uh, we we grab on and 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 one of the things is that God intended a man and a woman to cleave to one another in marriage and to have that as as a foundational relationship that Paul looked at and we'll look at that more closely this morning Said reflected the relationship of Christ in the church, and so as we look at, at at the picture that we painted, you know, got to so far with last week in Genesis uh, chapter uh, one, and and, and uh, we have the picture where God said, "Let us create man in our image," and He created the male and female in the image of God, and. In verse uh, 31, the closing of chapter 1, he said, and it was very good. And the idea of very good is an interesting picture because up to that point, I I pointed this out last week, after each point of creation, he had said, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then he had the garden complete, everything ready, and now he brings Adam and Eve into the picture and he says, and now it's very good. Adam uh, chapter 2 tells us the the picture of of Adam naming all of the animals in the garden and, and very clearly it was done so that he would understand and I believe for us to see today that there was no suitable companion for him in the animals, in the animal kingdom. He needed someone that was like him, a part of him in the sense someone who would complete him and as a result Eve is, is, is created from the, the side of Adam. I've had some pastors say in using that in a, in a marriage uh, ceremony, you know, created from his side, you note not from his head that he'll, she would rule over him or from his feet that he might stomp all over her, but from his side that they might walk as companions side by side completing one another. And I think that that's an important part of the picture. Genesis makes uh, or Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 makes it very clear That before the throne of God, all of us are equal. There is no male or female in rank before the throne of God. Why then does God have a a context of of headship in the sense of of responsibility? Well, part of it, as I started out to say, was to reflect something about the way God has related to us. And that's what Paul talks about in in Ephesians chapter 5. I also wanted to point out that the context of the headship principle is is much larger than what we talk about. And I don't know why this is a scripture that eludes so many uh, when we discuss this issue. But uh, Paul says in, in uh, chapter 11, I commend you because you remember me in everything. Chapter 11 1 Corinthians. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man, and I believe he means this in a generic context, the head of every believer is Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband. Now, if we stop there, we would say, well, there he is again, making this statement that's hard to understand and hard to, 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 to work with. And then he turns around and says, and the head of Christ is God. Even within the framework of the Godhead, there is a headship principle. God the Father with God the Son who has taken and submitted to God the Father. How many times did Jesus say here on earth, I'm only telling you what the Father has given me to say. I'm only doing what the Father has told me to do. I'm only teaching the things the Father has revealed to me. And it says very clearly that when He was with the Word, and in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It turns around and says that the Word came and dwelled amongst us. And in verse 18 of John chapter 1, it says, and He revealed the Father. Okay, and so... The idea of, of of headship starts with the Godhead, and Jesus turns around and and emphasizes marriage, husband and wife. Now I want to to clarify very quickly. I boy, you know, when I say clarify very quickly, I, I I could put my foot in my mouth here because I'm not careful. Um, We are not dealing here with the idea that everyone should be married. I want to make that clear. There are some churches that so emphasize the husband and wife relationship that those who are called to be single feel out of place. In fact, there's a pew a, a book that was written back and this is back in the 80s, but it was called a pew for one please. And the and the reason it was written in such a manner was is that Sometimes it's difficult for a single to relate within the church, especially. And I did not plan this or time this. My sister actually had to point it out to me that I'm preaching on husbands and wives on Valentine's Day. It, it did not. It was no schedule on my part to do this. It's just the way it turned out. And and the reality is, is that uh husbands and wives are an extremely important relationship, a covenant relationship that God has put in very specific uh, context in the scriptures as to, to to be in a particular way. But Paul makes it very, very clear, as he himself was single, that it is a good thing for single people within the framework of Christ, especially during the time that they were approaching. He says, your life's going to be far simpler, and without a lot of, of uh, uh, as much pain and suffering if you're single. And he was referring, I think, as a point of persecution that was coming. But Paul also pointed out you're free. And I've known a number of single people in, in, in mission work and, and uh, literally around the world in teaching ministries, uh, around the world where where because they were single they were able to pick up and go and and, and relocate and, and move where the need was, this type of thing which a married couple would have been difficult to do at best. So I want you to understand, as I talk about marriage this morning, it's not to say that if you're not married, you're missing out. It's to say that if you are married, there are some things that God has said about it. And we are in such a dilemma today within the framework of how the church is to relate simply because our culture has so confused the gender issues. We, we, so much so that we even see the pendulum in the, the, the church swinging to extremes. They'll look at Ephesians and they'll get so concerned about the fact of, of, of feminism that where it turns around and says that men and women are so totally equal that there's no distinction, no, no nothing different in any way, shape, or form. Therefore, women should be able to do everything that men do within the framework of the church, including being the elders, We've already talked about that in, uh, from the pulpit in our statement of faith issue here, of what we believe. But the reality is, is that the scripture doesn't acknowledge it that way. The, the scripture acknowledges the elders and pastors as men in the church, and yet we turn around and we see so many churches, including evangelical churches, that uh, say they're fundamentalist in their beliefs, having pastors uh, that are women and in and 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 in their leadership roles. The reason this has moved this way is especially over the last several decades is because we in our culture have moved this way. I am not suggesting in any way, again, that a woman is inferior in education, ability to to understand, or in any way, shape, or form, less than. I'm simply saying that within the framework of what God has put together for marriage, God has an order for things. And he said it very distinctly. And he said it more than once. What Ephesians tells us, and let us read it together, in chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so the wives also submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her and having cleansed her by washing of water with the word. That he might present the church in himself in splendor And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You can't miss what it says if you just read it in its context simply. Wives submit to the husbands. Husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. This is no small thing, nor is it an easy thing to do. It's a thing that demands commitment, a relationship that is growing together, and it must have Christ at the center to be successful. So much so that you have to keep this verse, if you will, in context of everything that is said here in Ephesians. Ephesians is a book that tells us much about how the church is to function together and to, and to work together and how, it, and how it will look as other people look from the outside in. And as it talks about headship, it not only talks about headship in marriage, but, you know, it goes on in chapter 6 to talk about the headship in the sense of children to their parents and their, their submission. And it also, in fact, let's look at chapter 6. Since we've looked at chapter 5 and seen it in marriage, let's look at chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Paul even goes on to add from the book of uh, in the book of Romans about the fact that there's a, a, the law of the land or the state that it has the authority over us, and how we are to submit to that as believers. In other words, there's an order of things that that God has outlined. In the way a Christian, in the body of Christ, a believer, relates to life within this world. If you're an employee, you're an employee who serves your boss. You can, I think, fairly interchange those concepts in from chapter 6 of master and slave to employer and employee without going to the point of saying, you know, employees are in servitude or anything like that. All I'm saying is, is that it's a fair, reasonable thing in our culture to see who's the employers and, and who the employees are, that as we serve within the framework of the job that we've been given, that we do it not with the, with the attitude of, well, oh, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to get by and get my paycheck. By the way, that has become... I believe one of the downfalls in our culture right now and the the way we look at at our work ethics, we look at things and say, all I'm going to do is whatever it takes to get by. I'm not going to do any more than that. I'm not going to do any less because then somebody will look at me and say, I'm not sure I want to keep you as an employee. So what's the minimum I've got to do to maintain? We even have organizations that are set up to tell us what the minimums are, that we can so we can say, I've got this right, or I've got this, you know, covered up to this point. And if I, as long as I do all of this, I've got my job and I've got it, you know, secured. Paul says that has nothing to do with it. What's your ability on your job? What's your capability for your job? Did you do it to the utmost? Because if you're doing it unto the Lord and you want to do it to glorify the Lord, you don't. it has nothing to do with what the minimum is. It's what your, your ability is. What you can do. I had an employer uh, when I started working uh, as a teenager in my first full-time job in 1965. And his... And he wasn't a Christian, but his his attitude about his work was, you do the best you can today with what you have to work with. Now, this was a wood shop. And so with all the skills, with all the, 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 the wood, with everything that we had, with the weather, it doesn't matter what it is, all the things, today we will do the best we can with what we have. We will not produce anything less than our best that we can today. He said... And he pointed out even, there's days where you might be really sick, but you know you've got to get a job done, so you come in and you do it, and, and you give it 100% of what you've got. It may not be 100% of what you got yesterday or 100% of what you'll have tomorrow, but you give it your all today. He also pointed out to me something I didn't understand until the last decade of my life so far, and that is that as you get older, you, you, you know, the amount that you could do and to give and, and to participate in different things was at this point when you were 30, and at this point at 60 uh, or older, it's different than it was. I can't do as much, or I can't uh, sometimes... And, and if sometimes health issues get in the way, and, and, and things change. And so your best today may not be the way you look at it and you think, well, oh, gee, I, I, I'm, I'm falling short. No, you take what you have today and you give it 100%. I believe that's the attitude that Paul's talking about here in the reference to an employee and an employer. And by the way, employer, he doesn't let them off the hook. If you are a believer, and of course there is a qualification here, but if you're a believer, you treat your employee as you would treat yourself. Is What is implied? In other words, uh, before the throne of God, you guys are equals. And so there's no distinction as to how you should treat your your brother in Christ as an employee. What happens if your employee has a problem? Well, then you come alongside. I've seen some interesting things in my life where I've seen some employers who were also leaders and elders in their churches. I've seen some of them who treated their employees like slaves. And I've seen some of them who treated their employees like brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll tell you what, it was a big difference in what was going on. Now, there's also the possibility that in any of these relationships, do I do... When I say that I'm, I'm, I submit, and we're all in some relationship where submission is required to someone other than, than Christ. In other words, there's, 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 we're even called to submit one to another in a sense of honor and, and compassion and ministering to one another and taking that, what I call the I'm third attitude. God is first, the other man is second, and I'm third. And we try to assist other people and in, 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 in help. Whenever there's the need. But there's always a point in time where you're going to be challenged as to whether there's something that is required of you that you should do or not do. It will happen. There is going to be a point in the time where you work, especially if you work in a in a secular context as a Christian, you're going to have to decide, can I as a Christian do this? There is a point where your submission has some boundaries. And those boundaries are defined by the Word of God. In other words, if you are asked to go outside of the Word of God and, and to actually uh, dishonor God in some context and way, as into sin of some way or something like that, I don't care what the, the submission relationship is, you are not obliged to follow that. I was asked to 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 uh, answer the phone in a particular way at one place that I worked. I felt that as a Christian and quite candidly, as 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 an employee, uh, it, it was inappropriate. And I guess the requirement I would have to tell you what it was. The furniture the, the furniture store I worked. Some of you have heard this before. I worked for a company called Nude Furniture. Now in the 50s. Unfinished furniture was called nude furniture. Nobody, it's, it's an amazing thing. Nobody chuckled about it. Nobody thought twice about it. You walked into a store and you're saying, I'm looking for some nude furniture. Nobody thought, oh, <laughs> you know, it was just, you were looking for unfinished furniture. But this wasn't the, the 50s, this was the 70s. The furniture store had started in the 50s, and it was well-known in the area, and there was three other stores that went along with it. They were all called the same name, so they had still. But their clever marketing person decided that we should answer the phone. Thank you for shopping nude. I couldn't do it. The manager, my my boss, immediate boss, says, we don't want you answering the phone if you're not going to do it. And quite candidly, I'm very upset with you. This is our policy. This is the way we do things. Inevitably, you still have to answer the phone at some point. Hi, my name is Bob Hatgood. Thank you for shopping nude furniture. May I help you? I ultimately got fired. Um, the manager didn't like the fact that I brought my Christian ethic into the workplace. I felt I had no choice. I have to tell you, there's an irony in God's the way God honors things. About eight months later, he was fired, and I was rehired by the store owner who decided to, he wanted to know where, where, how come I had been fired. I was a producer. I was a hard worker. I had a Christian, if you will, work ethic, and he could see it. And he wanted to know. And it turns out that the other guy, not only did he not have that, but he was an embezzler as well. Uh, but uh, So I got rehired. And God did a very amazing thing the the next three months. I'm not even the floor salesman. I'm on contract with them to do furniture finishing when somebody buys a piece of unfinished furniture and they want it to match something that they already have. I did the finishing. I had a spray booth there. I did all the work and stuff. I taught people how to finish their furniture if they wanted to do it themselves. In fact, we even had little spots set up for them to do that. And, and that was my pr- – and the touch-up furniture in our finished department that, that, that got nicked or scratched or something. But I also got – if they called me to the floor to help with a sale, I got a 50% commission of what their commission was. So if they got a 10% commission, I got half of it. For the next three months, I was the most paid in commissions. I had, I had in my 50% TOs, the takeovers is what they call them, I, I, and, and it was, had nothing to do with me. It was them calling me to ask questions. I'm just saying God will honor us. I really believe that. may not honor us that way, but I, I'm confident that, that we have to, at a point, take a stand and say, this is as far as I can go in my ethics because of my, well, how I view things as a Christian. And there will be times where you will have to decide whether you're going to, how far you can go with certain things. And by the way, I believe that applies in marriage. I do not, when it says submit in all things, do not believe that if you are asked to submit in something illicit, wrong, immoral as a wife, that you are obliged to do it because your husband said to. It's a whole other message. It's a whole nother list of things to talk to, but I suggest at that point you, you talk with a godly woman within the framework of your congregation and maybe even have a uh, talk with that person and your pastor uh, to figure out how to handle the situation and what to do in a situation where you're being compromised. You don't have to go there alone is what I Now, let's come back to this reality, What was the how this gets set on the right track in the first place. And in order to do that, we have to look at the context that, 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 that Paul is writing in reference to this point where he talks about husbands and wives. And basically, you have to go back to verse 1 of chapter 5. Look at what verse 1 says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Who's he talking to? Husbands and wives, single men, single women, any believer. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So already it's starting the stage of. In order to be the, the, the kind of people that he's going to tell us we need to be, whether it's at work or at home or with our relationship with our children, the first thing we have to do is be imitators of God as children looking up to our Father and imitators of the love that, that Christ showed us in his sacrifice. Everybody. Husbands, wives, believers, single, children. goes on to talk about sexual immorality in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity of covetousness not even be named among you as the proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which uh, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Something happened. This is the way you used to be. But now you have changed and you were in darkness but now you are in light walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all the good and right and true all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the lord i'm wanting to i'm trying to make sure you understand all of this is written before any of this stuff about who we submit to and when and where Is who we are in Christ first. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. By the way, and that's in all situations. What would please the Lord in this conversation with my child? A grandmother, never setting out to, but ending up to be the person who is responsible raising her grandchildren. Her four-year-old granddaughter. As grandma is sitting here working on her business books and trying to figure out numbers and accounting, (laughs) we all know how tedious that can be. Those of you who know me know why I don't do it. They won't let me near it. Uh, It's because I can't keep focused long enough to do it. It takes a lot. Grandma, 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 grandma. Not, not right now, grandma. And 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 there is a place and a time to teach our kids when to enter. But it, there was obviously something important that the granddaughter needed to say, and all of a sudden the grandmother realized. She said, "God never goes like this to me. When I have something that I don't understand that I really need to know, and I go." father yes my child i thought that was amazing that was so instructive to me i wished i had known it when i was raising my kids there do that respect by the way you know that's what don't provoke them to anger when there's a real need you need to address it and somehow work it in Is there a time to train the child as to when to interrupt when you're talking with someone else and all these? Yes. And those are important things. But there's also a time where you realize by the tone of the voice, just as the Father knows, that there's a need. How would I know that? Because I've already decided I want to imitate Christ. I've already decided that I want to have the mind of God. i already decided I want to have the eyes of Christ. i already decided I want to have the ears of Christ. And and so I want to be sensitive to those things going on around me so that I respond as the Father would respond, as Christ would respond. I was in darkness, now I'm in light, and I should desire to discern and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is, a shameful, it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, kind of a conclusion to this so far. Verse 15, Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Okay, what is a wise Christian doing? He's desiring to understand the things that that God wants. Again, verse 10, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is what a wise Christian is doing. And and, and we're doing it in a time frame of, 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 of making the best use of our time because the days are evil. I think that is an amazing phrase. But the reality is what Paul is saying is, There is a whole lot of things competing for your time. Only some of it can be accomplished. Let's face it, everything that demands your time is not going to get accomplished. But everything that needs your time within the framework of your relationship with the Father and with your wife and with your family and with your work, uh, all these types of things that he's going to talk about, need to, to the best of your ability, be taken care of. So you need to prioritize. What is the the Lord wanting me to do this day? And how can I see this day through the Lord's eyes and see what's important to be done? And quite candidly, it may be way different than what you planned at the start. I... Don't always understand. <laughs> don't always. I rarely understand. I might never understand. I'm not even sure how to put this. Why there are things called flat tires. I've had my share of them. And they definitely throw you. but I don't believe God wastes anything. So I have to look at this and say, well, thank you, Lord, for sparing me, possibly, from something disastrous. Or thank you, Lord, for redirecting my path. I don't know what I'm supposed to see in this, but keep me... Alert. Lord, how come the spare is flat, too? It's happened. Lord, how come every place is closed that fits its flat tires today? Oh, there's one place open. Oh, look at the line. There must be five people ahead of me needing a tire fixed. And there were at least that many. I had an extremely important deadline that day. I thought there's no way any of this is going to come together. What do I do now? I don't can't tell you all the details, but in a rather interesting way, I got bumped to the front of the line. My tire got fixed, and I got to where I needed to be on time. And it was not and, and it was done for free. I didn't pay for it. How do you, you know, here I was. I was out of town top of everything else. I had to have someone else drive me with my dead tire to the place to get it fixed. I didn't realize I had been ministering the whole time from the time the tire was flat. There was somebody watching. Okay, it never occurred to me that I was ministering. But yes, I did. I not only got to minister there, I got to minister where it was. And after the fact, when I got to where I was and they saw who I was, they happened to be at the same place that I was that had expedited everything. And they saw why they were called to do what they were done, and I saw why what happened happened. You don't always get that. I guess what I'm trying to say is, Trying to discern what it is that God wants to do isn't easy. It's not automatic. And it's not always obvious. But being confident that God doesn't waste your time, doesn't make mistakes, and if something is wrong here and it needs your attention, there's a reason for it. And He's got something in mind that He's doing. Can you... Follow along graciously, or are you going to follow along grumbly? I, quite candidly, prefer the gracious part, but I'm good at grumble. So I've got to make the best use of my time. This is one of the requirements. And by the way, in order to be the husband that God wants me to be, he's talking about Ephesians here, I need to be doing this. Making good use of my time. And that means at work or at home with my wife, with my children, within the framework of the state. Doing, I'll tell you what, there's a, an example of a husband and a wife who, who, where the wife agreed, by the way, to be dishonest. I want you to think about this because it costs them dearly. Read the first few verses of chapter 5 of Acts. I see some of them going, ah, oh, Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 9, Paul, Peter basically says, Why have you followed suit with your husband and lied to the Holy Spirit? Now his judgment's falling on you too. I know that's a paraphrase, but that's basically what, what happened. Paul or Peter was giving her the opportunity to be honest. But she followed, and not knowing that her husband was had what happened to her to, to her husband, she hung in with the lie. She was she, but, but she was submitting, wasn't she? There is a higher calling to our submission first to Christ. What would Christ do? And I think that we are obligated to do that. And by the way, any husband who asks His wife to cheat on the taxes or anything else is not doing any of this first stuff and and, and being responsible before the throne of God. So keep that in mind as we, we look at this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I read that and it sounds like it's supposed to be simple. Here's the will of the Lord. You know, how many times have you wrestled with what the will of the Lord is in something? You know, And, and Paul Paul's saying here, this part is obvious. Understand what the will of the Lord is. To try to discern what the Lord wants and what is pleasing to the Lord. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with wine like the things, in, like the world. In other words, I really look at the broader picture. Don't handle the things the way the world handles things. Start with being filled with the Holy Spirit. How often are you filled? The, oh, the first blessing, second blessing, third. Uh, forget that stuff. Some of you have gone through that in your, your religious training, second blessing of Christ and, 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 and other things. I, I, I was reading and, and, and from a charismatic reformed, uh, Sam Storms, who basically said, forget the first blessing, second blessing. He says, we want all of the blessing. <laughs> and the picture is the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. It is a continuous thing going on. And it doesn't always result in the same things happening. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't automatically mean you're going to speak in tongues. It may mean that you're going to go out and preach the Word of God. Acts chapter 2, filled with the Spirit, spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 4, filled with the Holy Spirit. The room shook again, by the way. A lot of people, they look at Acts chapter 2 and they prayed and the room shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they think, wow, you know, it happened again. But this time, there wasn't anybody speaking in tongues. They went out with boldness and preached the Word of God. The idea is is that there's an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. What's, What's competing with that to keep it from happening? Me. My flesh. There's a battle going on, Romans chapter 7. You know? Uh, The the, the Holy Spirit, in me, in the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, I want to do this that is right. But boy, this that is wrong looks good over here. And there's a, a battle that goes on. But the idea is that I need the Holy Spirit to accomplish the things that God wants me to accomplish in his way. And so, what do I need to call for? And how often do I need to call for? Well, let's see. Every day is competing for my attention to God, so be careful how you use every day, the time of every day, just trying to desire what the, the, is pleasing to the God every day. I guess maybe I need to ask every day that God would fill me with His Spirit for the day. At least that often. Maybe there's a Change in the plans, something that you didn't plan on, and now your day has been changed, and you're going to be required to enter into a situation where there's sadness and grief, or required to enter into a situation where there's other types of things. Nothing wrong with taking a moment and stopping again and saying, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Allow me to be what you need me to be. Every time we come to the pulpit, it should be with that. Paul goes on saying, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing, and by the way, you want to know when you can see the Holy Spirit at work in you? Look at some of the things that, that, that happen collectively together, for instance. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. One of the things is worship. The Holy Spirit brings us to a point of worship, both privately and corporately. Giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, I'm third principle. My being concerned about your needs in a sense ahead of my own discomforts or frustrations. Or maybe just to the point where I know you're hungry and I'm hungry and I've been given some food just enough to feed my family, but I know you're hungry too. Friends of a few people in here know this story because of the missionaries in India that we know in common. One village giving care packages from another area that was doing well. Each family in the church got a package of food. Their daughter was near death from malnutrition. But he still felt as a believer compelled to to give a third of his food to the neighbor on one side and a third of his food to the neighbor on the other side. And a third of the food for themselves. His daughter died. He was reprimanded. You had the food. Literally his statement. My neighbors don't know the Lord. If they die, they go to hell. I don't know if I'm that able to put myself aside. I've never been asked to. Maybe I'm not. I'm just saying that this whole picture of submission, wives submitting to husbands, And husbands loving their wife as Christ loves the church. Just put those two sentences together. And and, and there's no doubt about husbands, you've got a big demand on you. Because this love is not a, a love that walks in and says, give me. Or I deserve. Or even I need. It is, I wash. a servant attitude. I was reading a book on, about servant leadership and I realized the whole thing should be called servant Christianity, period. We're all called at some point to lead in servanthood. But Jesus made something very clear. Those that are following him who are, are, are the greatest are going to be known by the way they what? Serve one another coming, the greatest is going to be like the least of these, like this little child over here. And then Jesus gave them an example of what it was. He washed their feet. I know I haven't spent a lot of time talking about husbands and wives and marriage. Didn't intend to. I think it's clear what it says. What we don't talk about when we talk about these verses is what precedes it and how we can become people who can live this way and do this in a harmonious and happy and victorious everybody is realizing that they are being benefiting and and drawing stronger in the Lord. It's because we start with being imitators of Christ. We start with Uh, desiring to please the Lord. We start with the reality that I can't do that without having the Holy Spirit in me. And I can't only do it with the Holy Spirit in me, I must have the Holy Spirit filling me. Constantly. And then I'm not only called to be a husband in this category, but I'm also called to be an employee or an employer. Or a member of the Society of the State of California. And where the State of California's laws disagree with the Word of God, I have to stand as Paul did, or Peter and John did, I mean, in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 before the Pharisees and said, You have to decide what's right and wrong for you, but as for us, we have to do what God says. You've told us not to go out and preach the Word, we're compelled to do so. Well, we're going to beat you again if you do that. We're going to beat you now. Send them out. They go back. They pray. They're filled with boldness. They go to preach the word of God. Chapter 5, they're arrested again. An angel comes and dismisses them. (laughs) I love this part because they go looking for them. And they said, uh, soldiers come back and say, we can't find them. (laughs) And then they say, go out and look for them. Oh, they're downtown preaching. (laughs) Well, go bring them. And they still didn't see it, the Pharisees. They were so caught up with, with their power and their authority and what they thought was right that they missed completely that there's something supernatural not only going on in the healing someone but also going on here in the sense of how did they come their downtown preaching and we don't know where they are. <laughs> how did they do that? You know? uh, they, and, and, and so, you know, again, this idea, you are not going to go do that. We must. There are things that God has called us that we must do. I guess for me this morning, what I want to leave you with is this idea of of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing that it, it should be doing to you is causing you to be looking for the way that you can serve. Husband serving your wife and wife serving your husband. Families, husbands, and wives serving your children and children serving their mothers and fathers as they become able to understand and and know the things of the Lord and being trained that way and to respect and to look for opportunities. I get so excited when I see children that are excited to go see their grandparents and to be able to go to their grandparents and and help mow a lawn or help clean a yard or, or, or do something with them. It's not a drudgery. It's a joy to serve. How do we know that that's what it is all about? Think about it. If we are to follow in the path and the walk that Christ put before us, he's the one who emptied himself, became a servant, of man, even to the point of the cross. Poured out his life to purchase the covenant of grace that would bring us into salvation and cover the wrath of God that we so righteously (laughs) deserve. He's He's the one that has shown us what it is. Sacrifice. What are you you know, what is God and I believe God calls us all to sacrifice in lots of ways. At different points, at different times. Sometimes it will be at work, sometimes it will be at church, sometimes it'll be at home, sometimes it'll be paying your taxes reluctantly. I would love to deduct certain things from my taxes that I don't think the government should pay for. <laughs> but I'm not in a position to do that. I pay my taxes because Jesus said, pay unto Caesar, what is due Caesar? To God, what is due to God. By the way, both are true. So, if I could say anything this morning, what I would actually say was: Husbands, serve your wife as Christ served the church, and wives, serve your husband as the church should serve Christ. In other words, we should be serving each other, loving each other, working for each other trying to create the environment that that allows the other to become everything God wants them to be. If you're single and you're outside of the marriage relationship, you're not still, you're not outside of any of the other things. You're still going to be called to honor your parents. You're still going to be called to be be an uh, exemplary employee. You're still going to be called to, to... abide by the rules of the of the, of the land the law of the land and as much as that it's up to you be right before the throne of God but, but be right so when any of us when we're going tooling down the freeway with our with our, our our cruise control set at 69 because we know the highway patrol will not bother us at 69 you've already got an attitude of of darkness corruption right there I don't don't tell me I'm not supposed to meddle. You, it's true. You're taking advantage of of, 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 of of a loophole kind of thing. An exemplary Christian abides by the law unless it infracts and impairs your way to serve God. But I'm going to be late to church. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, purpose this morning, what I really was looking for in this message was that we would all, no matter whether we are married or single, whoever we are, believers in Christ, would walk away with this attitude, desiring to please the Lord and desiring to be filled with the Holy Spirit that we make, make the best use of every day God has given us in whatever he's called us to be. And we're not all called to the same are all called to Christ. And in that sense, we are called to the same standard. He served us on the cross. He gave us the words, it is finished, that we might rest in His paying the price of our sins so that we will never know. You realize this, and I know I say it often, but we will never know the wrath our sins deserve because of what God has done through Christ. Ask the ushers to come. Pass the emblems out. Hold communion. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together.